0: CFL fans, are you ready because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. And welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking more CFL football here today with our Week Eight CFL recap. Mike, how are you tonight?
1: Not too bad, not too bad. Just sifting through some stuff that I missed on the weekend and trying to refresh my brain about what happened on Thursday doubleheader, and ready to toss some football.
0: Enjoyed the long weekend at the cabin.
1: I did, I did. I ended up making an extra long weekend out of it, so it wasn't that bad. Wonderful.
0: Uh, Yeah, like you said, Thursday night doubleheader this week. We got two of the games out of the way on Thursday night, and dare I say, this was one heck of a Thursday night doubleheader. You know, we had a lot of games this year that we didn't necessarily find to be the greatest and maybe not as exciting, some dull football, a lot of blowouts. It looked like the first one was going to be a blowout, But we ended up getting two really good football games for a solid six hours of football on Thursday night. Uh, We're going to start off with the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks and the Toronto Argonauts. But before we do that, uh, the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all of the other great Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Mike, Ottawa, Toronto... Do you think the McLeod Bethel Thompson statue outside BMO Field is finished being built yet?
1: Uh, no, but uh, one would suggest that it might be a pretty good idea to get on
0: that. 42-41, Toronto wins this one after falling down 28-7 to at halftime. What a football game, what a finish we had on the first game of Thursday night with Monty Edwards catching the game-winning touchdown from McLeod McLeod Bethel-Thompson making his first career CFL start with one second left on the clock. The Argos come all the way back and take this one. Your initial reactions to
1: this game? Well, let me talk about something that really kind of was made me very curious, and it wasn't necessarily you know, about how badly Ottawa collapsed and seemingly folded like the tent when they thought they had the game in hand. And then it started to slip from them and they could never really get control. Um, to me, w- what really stood out fairly loudly was the drive before uh, Toronto came back in one, They had two throwing plays. Like, that to me is really, really curious, especially when you have a running back like William Powell in your backfield.
0: Yeah, you know, some poor management when they are late in the game. But I don't know how you pin this collapse for the Red Blacks on the offense, to be frank. I mean, you put up 41 points in a football game, you shouldn't lose the game.
1: Especially in the way that you did.
0: Right. And especially when you're playing a team in Toronto. That coming into this game, Mike, hadn't scored over 20 points on the year. I remember we got to a point in the third quarter where Toronto gets to exactly 20 points going into the fourth quarter. And I thought this was the same thing we saw, you know, two weeks ago against Winnipeg. Uh, The one in Toronto where the Bombers took that one 38-20. Toronto got to 20 points in the third quarter, but then failed to score another point. Yet that game, I thought we were on the same pace here. You know, it's 38-20 going into the fourth quarter. And uh, they outscore Ottawa twenty two to three in the fourth.
1: Yeah, that that to me it, it, it's just mind blowing, right? I mean, like, you have to think whatever the deficit was at one point, I forget what the largest uh, point differential was before the combat started. But you know, to be down even as much as they were, and to dig yourself out of that hole, a lot has to go right. And to be very frank, Paul March to the Toronto—they could have rolled over and died, and not really given, not really giving up much of a fight, you know. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I was very, very critical of the way Toronto was playing to start. Oh. And I think mean, most people were. The first
0: half was a disaster. At halftime, I proclaimed the Toronto Argonauts to be a tire fire, and, mm-hmm. and you know that I and I, I kind of said this on Twitter. And we'll get into the other team uh, in this category though. But I actually at halftime of this game between Toronto and Ottawa started to really consider who the dumpster fire of the CFL was. Everyone's always thought it was Montreal. At this point in this game, I was very strongly leaning towards Toronto because a mess of a start to the season. They try to make the quarterback change. That doesn't help. McLeod Bethel-Thompson can't get anything going in the first half at all. Uh, special teams nightmare. I don't know what Martise Jackson was thinking uh, necessarily when he uh, when he caught that ball. Uh, and fumbled it in the end zone on the punt return. The defense can't come up with a stop in the first half. I mean, this was looking like a complete blowout. And I, I, I don't know what Mark Tressman said in the locker room, but it worked.
1: Honestly, I'm looking at that play at Daffy right, that Marquise Jackson fumble. Did it look you like he forgot that that was a light ball?
0: Yeah, well, I, I think we like we saw Deontay Spencer do the same thing earlier in the game, right? A couple of just miscues right. from, from the returners there. But uh, to his credit, Martise Jackson made up for it because he had some big returns later in the game that really kind of sparked the Argos on the comeback.
1: Right. It's it, it just so interesting how you can have, you know, a down first couple plays, but when it comes down to it, you have the mental toughness to overcome that. And basically take your team on his back, you know, shorten the field position for a rookie quarterback. And I'll tell you what, that helped a lot.
0: Now this was, uh, at least as far as I can tell, the highest scoring game we've gotten this year. Um, Didn't expect to see that, but, you know, Toronto involved in a game like that. They really sparked things offensively. And, uh, I I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, this may be one of the best debuts of a quarterback I can remember in a long time.
1: Yeah, but again, I, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, we're also saying it's one game. It's um, it, it's one game. You know what I mean?
0: You can't say that, though, Mike. The statue's already been ordered.
1: <laughs> yeah. It the, Well, you know, and rightfully so, right? Toronto's been looking for, um, I guess, success stories, if you will, when it comes to uh, that kind of thing. But to me here, it's just dumbfounding how Ottawa seemingly up in a big lead goes into prevent defense, prevent defense, prevent defense. And that's when all these yards and all these plays are being made. It's not like, you know, Trevor Harris threw four pits and there was a quick change of field position and, you know, there were five or six turnovers which helped, you know, steer this combat. Plain and simple, it was prevent defense. Uh, ten yards, ten yards, ten yards, slice and dice. You know, a couple big plays, couple nice catches. And I- I'm just dumbfounded how Ottawa blew this game.
0: Well, in Ottawa seems to have a bit of a knack for that don't they i mean i can think of a couple games in the last few years where you thought ottawa had this in the bag and all of a sudden they blew it and and this is certainly one of them i mean there's there's no way they should have lost this game like you mentioned it's not like one play caused it to fall apart it was just they got a little complacent in the second half the offense was on an absolute roll in the first half um in the fourth quarter it just kind of died off a little they only got three points in the fourth quarter uh, defensively, they couldn't stop the Argos in the fourth quarter. I mean, Toronto put up more points in the fourth quarter than they've been able to put up in uh, an entire game yet this year.
1: It, to me, it, it's very, very interesting. I mean, I don't want to suggest that it's doom and gloom for Ottawa because it's, no. it's the furthest from the point, and it's the furthest from the troop, at least from what I see. I'll tell you but, this:
0: It's doom and gloom if they lose this week. After this loss to Toronto, if they hosting, if the Owlets come to town after what they did against what they played, how they played against Hamilton this week and beat the Red Blacks, then you might have a cause for concern. But this this is just a collapse to the Argos. Um, you know, I I I think the Red Blacks are still a good team. and They're going to learn from this.
1: I I think we have to really discuss. About what expectations are, as far as um, as far as you know, Ottawa and mental breakdowns and stuff like that are gonna happen. Let's not get too overworked about Ottawa. I, they're the least of my concerns right now. Now some guys had
0: big games in this one: McLeod, Bethel, Thompson. We talked a lot about him. 25 of 37 for 302 yards. Four touchdowns and an interception. That is quite the day for your first CFL start. And he was helped out by a guy that, if you go back to our fantasy preview the past, this past week, Mike, a guy I had in our dollar drainers category, the guy to stay away from this week, had one of the best uh, best performances of the week. And that was SJ Green with another explosive game here. Nine catches, 134 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, their best players came to play on offense. Their quarterback came to play. James Wilder came to play. He had over 100 yards combined. Uh, and, and S.J. Green had a massive day.
1: It's just a very interesting scenario here where I I don't know if you put Ottawa in the They're good, but they're not as good as we think they are or if this is a one-off. I think it's a bit of a one-off,
0: but that will remain to be seen here. Uh, on the Ottawa side of things, I don't think you can fault the offense for this loss. You know, Trevor Harris throws for 381 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, Deontay Spencer had himself a field day. Uh, let's see, over uh, basically 250 yards of offense or total yards, including return yards for Deontay Spencer in a touchdown. Brad Sinopoli chips in his seven catches for 89 in a touchdown. William Powell has himself a bit of a quiet day, though. I know he did get nicked up at some point, but uh, the Argos, you know, as much as we've made of their defense in recent weeks, at times they seem to be able to stop the run here. But
1: To me, if they to me, the Argos have been all about the offense. And if they can find some offense, they'll be okay.
0: Now, it's interesting, because hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can look at back on a season and pinpoint a game where it fell off the rails, right? And you look at last year, the Montreal Alouettes, that heartbreaking loss here in Winnipeg, uh, the miracle at IGF. Uh, I don't think they won another game, or if they did, they won one more game after that, the Montreal Mm -hmm. Alouettes. BC's Mm -hmm. season fell apart last year. On the uh, on the two game uh, series with Saskatchewan, where they came back and got spanked in the second one after you know being a little cocky after the first one. But then there's the opposite side of things. You think about games that possibly saved a season. You have to think this game may have saved the Argos season because it was if the second half was anything like the first, this was going to spiral out of control.
1: Uh, yeah, but again, I mean. You know you're in the East Division, and and didn't can happen. You know the the East Division coming into the week. I think it's fair to say there were some questions. You know about this division. I mean, just having a twit to the standings right now. Toronto up the of the two and five. They are basically one game back of Hamilton, which right now is the assured final playoff spot. The West holds the crossover by one game right now. I'm just looking. It's a big win for the, for the Ardos, but now all of a sudden, it may put Hamilton on notice and maybe Ottawa on notice a little I mean, bit.
0: Yeah. Um. One thing that came out earlier today or yesterday, perhaps, uh, I forget when exactly, uh, Luchas Purifoy released by the Ottawa Red Blacks, and today on Tuesday... Uh, he subsequently signed with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Why do you think he was released?
1: I can't even begin to death but I thought he was one of their better defensive players.
0: Yeah, and, and I know he was he was burned a couple times in this game against Toronto, and maybe he's the fall guy for their you know this this collapse. But I, I'm shocked to see him gone, but I'm not shocked to see him picked up right away. And uh, I don't think we're gonna see Deron Carter back on defense too soon if they've got a great defensive back like Luchas Purifoy being brought in uh, to Saskatchewan.
1: Well, here's the thing. Remember everybody whining in Saskatchewan about how they wanted defensive backs and, and and defensive players so Durant could play in, you know, the position that makes him the most successful? Well, last week they signed Marcel Young. This week, a kind of falls on their plate. Like, I'm beginning to wonder if Purifoy maybe the um, the message sender as far as the Ottawa coaching staff to the rest of the team to say, hey, what happened last week is unacceptable. And if anybody else does this, you know, you're on notice.
0: Let's move on to the second game of the Thursday night doubleheader. It is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Edmonton Eskimos. Edmonton takes this one 26-19. Um, big storyline I would say in this one is that, you know, Mike Riley, by all of Mike Riley's standards had an absolutely terrible football game, but still found a way to get it done late to lead the Eskimos to a win with a game winning touchdown in the final three minutes. I mean, I, I, and I expect nothing less from
1: him. I'm going to stop speaking right now and I'm going to play a tape recording of what has been said numerous times on this show in the past, and that is what you just said. Mike Riley, no matter how bad he is in a game, and this is the problem, if you keep Edmonton hanging around, you are in big, big, big trouble. If Mike Riley can suddenly find it. And the most important and impressive part was, they kept Duke Williams at bay for most of that football game.
0: Yeah, he didn't have a catch, I think, until the fourth quarter, finished with two catches for 41 yards. How about Nick Marshall? This guy is has a bright future in the CFL. I have no doubt about it. He's one of the best young defensive backs in the league, and I'm excited to see what kind of career he can form for himself. Second career game, his first one, he had that big pick six, which kind of rallied the the riders, you know, to that to, I think that one sealed the deal in the first game of the season against Toronto. Maybe it gave them the lead. I don't quite remember. But uh, he then he gets injured and goes on the sixth game. They struggle a little. You know, Deron Carter has to be put in that defensive back. Nick Marshall comes back. You get your best offensive player back on offense. And you get a guy that does what nobody's been able to do yet this year. And that's shut down Duke Williams. And he did so in tremendous fashion.
1: Here's an interesting thing. If anybody says, oh, Nick Marshall didn't exactly do what he was supposed to do, well, let me point to the first three quarters of the game and suggest to you that the only reason you had a chance was because of Nick Marshall holding Duke Williams at bay. This is more an indictment on the Saskatchewan offense for not being able to put up more points and kind of, you know, when you have him pinned down, delivered a knockout blow kind of analogy, then it does anything that Nick Marshall did. Now, now,
0: here's a secret
1: for you, Mike.
0: Uh, Duke Williams is not the only offensive player on the Eskimos. If you're going to cover him, you might want to also cover Darrell Walker. 6 catches, yeah. 154 yards and a touchdown. Sure, you shut down Williams, but is that going to stop, you know, one of the other weapons in their offense?
1: Nope. Here's a very interesting scenario as well. Um, you don't know, put in so much emphasis on one guy and everybody goes, "Wait a minute, did you forget about me?" And it just opened up everybody else, right?
0: Mike Riley had 257 yards of passing only. 154 of those went to Darrell Walker. I think there was a point in the game where Walker had 136 of Riley's 148 passing yards. I mean, it was basically all, all Walker. And C.J. Gable had a solid day uh, in the running game. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, this was a gritty performance that the Eskimos pulled out. And I don't know if necessarily they played up to the standards
1: we expect them to. No, um, to say that they're lucky to be, you know, as good as they are, I think would be a little bit understated. You know, when, when you have Mike Riley, who does Mike Riley things, anything is possible.
0: I love that saying. I feel like we use that every week. Mike Riley doing Mike Riley things. It's the best way to sum it up.
1: But to be honest with you, he doesn't – well, sorry, he does stuff that makes you go, wow, and then you see it over and over again, and it just doesn't surprise you as you come to expect it.
0: Now, I I have to say, the Saskatchewan defense continues to impress me. I mean, they shut down Duke Williams. Sure, you know, Darrell Walker gets a lot of yards there, but if you can just shut down Darrell Walker yet, too – Although, to be fair, then Kenny Stafford probably has like 200 yards. Um, but Edmonton was leading the league in least sacks allowed. I think coming into this game, they only allowed something absurd, like four sacks all season long. Charleston Hughes picks up one, Aguavin picks up one, Willie Jefferson picks up one, and Zach Evans picks up one. So four sacks on the day by the mm-hmm. Riders' defense against a very good Edmonton offensive line.
1: Yeah, and then the Dude there on the corner, uh, Toby, I believe is his name.
0: Yep, Toby Antigua.
1: You know, we're we're forgetting about him and just how this reminds me slowly but surely, and it's taking some time, of a defense in Edmonton that won the Ray Cup coached by Chris Jones.
0: Back in 2015. Right. Yeah, that was a very strong defense that year that, you know, kind of carried the team by what I can remember. Uh, they also had a very good offense
1: as well, certainly, but And I think the offense just Saskatchewan but only didn't get better, you know, that's hilarious. I mean he didn't throw his first incompletion in that football game to a way into the, the game. Uh I think it was third quarter I saw something where he only had four incompletions or something like that. It put the number um put the number one up as the game went along, but you know, the Riders, I begin to wonder if maybe they're peaking in the winning direction. Uh, 22
0: of 34, 261 yards and a touchdown by Caleros. Uh Crazy enough, you know, I think, I forget who said this, but at one point in the fourth quarter, he was at something like 212 yards. That was a season high for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is, it just beats to how much they trust that Lyle compared to the other quarterback. I don't think there's any other way around it. The most important part, though, no interception. Yeah, that's huge. And it, it gives you a chance. And unfortunately, you know, you couldn't get that one stop from your defense. And, you know, Saskatchewan very well could have won this football game.
0: It's funny, because coming into the game, we're thinking, oh, Duke Williams is going to explode for another big day. Oh, Deron Carter's back on offense. He's going to have a heyday. Then we get to halftime, and neither of them has a catch. Deron doesn't have a catch at halftime. I don't even know if he was really targeted in the first half. Are you surprised they didn't start going to him right away?
1: Not really. I mean, I I think you want to keep your in in one basket and your cards close to your chest. I mean... Edmonton is one of those teams, much like the Bombers. I think you can spread the ball around a little bit, and if you're winning, and your playmakers don't necessarily have top-notch days, I I think you're okay with that. Now Daron Carter kicks off the second half
0: uh, with a 41-yard touchdown pass from Zach Calero. So uh, he makes an entry, he makes an impact in his first game back on offense. Uh, And a guy that's slowly starting to make a bit of a name for himself is Jordan Williams-Lambert, four catches, 86 yards. I thought he was the rider's best player on offense this game.
1: Yeah, that's no accident. I mean, one of his catches, uh, I can tell you pretty much for sure across the middle there when when he made it. I forget when it was. I think it was in the second half or late in the first half. You know, I'll tell you what, if you have a quarterback that controls the ball like that Tolaros does, it's a world of... Uh, energy for what it does for the players around them. Absolutely. Uh, and really,
0: the fault of the Riders in this game, I would say, is the late-game clock management. I mean, they're, that final drive, they're down seven points. They have the ball there, but they
1: really didn't manage the clock very well, did they? <laughs> would have, could have, should have, right? I mean, you see that about every team in the final minute when they don't score. You know, something, something doesn't exactly... Something doesn't work, you know. It's at the a time count or it's a procedure penalty. It's well you know, when, it's,
0: when you keep throwing the ball to the middle of the field instead of going out of bounds. I mean, you're just going to kill time off the clock,
1: right? But I, I think that, that we in the, in the same sense, Ryan. If that's what's there, that's what's there, right? I mean, you have to think about the time in the game too, right? Defensive coordinators generally tell their generally tell their players watch the sideline. Don't let them get out of bounds. If you're going to give them yards, don't let them get behind you, number right. one. Or if you're going to give up yards, keep them in bounds to keep the clock moving. And so, you know, as much as we, you know, we criticized the writers for their time clock, time management, I didn't think it was overly bad because I, I thought they gave for the most part exactly, or sorry, they took, exactly, for the most part, what Edmonton gave them, which was not the sideline, which, unfortunately, if you're the Eskimos, that's where you want to play to go to the middle of the field. Right. Uh, Yeah,
0: and, and, you know, to be fair, uh, yes, they struggle late in the game. Yes, they still only put 19 points on the board, but I feel like this Saskatchewan offense is starting to trend upwards a little now that they have their starting quarterback back. And to their credit, the offensive line didn't give up a single sack against the Eskimos, who uh, have been putting up sacks in
1: handfuls over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's a a very uh, very interesting scenario. And you have to remember, this is an offense that's been together for, what, two games now? Not counting the preseason? Right. So, you know, how do you expect to know what you have if you're Toys can't play together, right? Fair enough. Very
0: well put. Um, let's move on to the third game of the week, Mike. The one that's probably going to draw in the biggest interest here uh, for in terms of our thoughts on it. The Hamilton Tiger Cats, the Montreal Alouettes. Johnny Manziel making his CFL debut. Uh, throws four interceptions. The Alouettes get the floor wiped with them. 50-11, to 11, Hamilton takes this one. Oh, where do we start? I don't even know. I, You know, maybe I'll start with my rant. We'll get my rant out of the way here. Because okay. watching this game on Friday night, this may have been the most frustrated I've ever been with a pro sports franchise, watching this game Friday night. And that's because, and, and you know, I've been a Bomber fan through the Joe Mack years, several years ago where I still you know you know you went to the stadium not really expecting the bombers to win but hoping you know maybe somehow they'd pull one out I look at this Montreal organization right now especially after this game here I I don't have that same sense of hope for this team I mean a 50 to 11 loss you bring in this shiny new quarterback you put him in the lineup before he's ever even ready uh he's practiced what 4 days in total with the team sure Johnny came in, and he threw four interceptions and shouldn't thro- have thrown a lot of those passes, and a lot of this, to his, to be fair, could very well be on him, but he also didn't put your shiny new quarterback in any possible position to succeed coming into this game, right?
1: Can I read you something? Sure. I'm just making sure I have this right. 22-10, 56-10, 28-18... 25 to 8, 44-23, and 50 to 11. Outside of the handful number of games that I mentioned, not really competitive.
0: No, not at all. And it's funny, you bring in this shiny new quarterback, you don't give him any, you know, any tools to succeed. You don't let him learn the playbook very well, and you throw him out there, and you expect to go and win a football game. You want to know. We we've talked a lot about this. These are all the guys since Anthony Calvillo who have played, who have started a game at quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes: Josh Nieswander, Troy Smith, Tanner Marsh, Jonathan Crompton, Alex Brink, Raheem Cato, Kevin Glenn, Brandon Bridge.
1: You're I'm, done right soon. You you're done soon, right? We didn't that. Oh, long? I haven't
0: even gotten to any of the 2018 quarterbacks. There's five of those. Kevin Glenn, uh, I think I mentioned... Or, sorry, I mentioned Kevin Glenn already. Vernon Adams, Darian Durant, Drew Willie, Matt Schiltz. Uh, I'm probably missing some in that list. And now Johnny Manziel. And you're trying to tell me that the quarterback's the problem? Like, there's no way you can pick, bring in like 13, 14 guys over the last five years and find no success and have it all be on the quarterback. Like... There's so many holes on the Montreal Alouettes that putting in Johnny Manziel, even if he were you know,
1: have a good game, is not going to solve things for this team, right? Right. And I think mean, it just speaks to something that you brought up, and I don't know if you have this in your rant, but it certainly appears like money, i.e. jersey sales, top overall success. Yeah. I,
0: I, I, I wholeheartedly believe... The reason Johnny Manzo was thrown out there to play this week when he shouldn't have, as I talked about on the podcast last week, Vernon Adams should have gotten the start again. He earned it, and Johnny needed more time to practice. I I fully believe this decision came from up above in the organization. You know, there was so much backlash after you promised the week before Manzo would play a couple plays, and he didn't, that I'm sure they saw it as, oh, if we play him, we're going to increase attendance sales. We're going to increase jersey sales. We're going to increase following on social media. Uh, TSN ratings are going to go up. I mean, you saw the picture during the broadcast that all of the Manziel jerseys in the store were sold out. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure yep. the guys at the top of the food chain are just counting the money in their pocket right now and not even realizing the fact that their teams lost 16 of their last 17
1: games and nine straight at home. Like, Ryan... I- I'm just rewinding to Johnny Mandel's first drive right now. His first play from scrimmage is a five yard loss. His next play, I'm just watching this again, is that interception. Which was a terribly thrown football. Right, but everybody in the house knows he didn't throw the football on setting and fifteen number one where they are on the field, and number two on setting and long.
0: Here's the problem. You know what? I'll say this. People people have come out and said a lot of things and made this performance a lot about Johnny Manziel, right? Because the spotlight was all on him. Did he play a good football game? Not at all in the slightest. It was absolutely terrible. It was atrocious. Mm -hmm. Does that mean he's not fit to play in the CFL? No, not at all. I think Johnny Manziel could be a very good quarterback in the CFL one day if given the proper, you know, plan to succeed, which he was not given here. I I really you can't you can't pin this all on him when the defense hasn't done their part at all this year, when the tools around him aren't go you know, it's it starts at the top of the organization. We talked about the ownership, you know, wanting to increase ticket sales, wanting to increase jersey sales. Sure you might get a one game buff by throwing it there right away, but How does this help you increase ticket sales long term when when, when you're just, you know, you're not giving him what he needs to succeed? You're showing up, you're losing by 39 points. I don't see how this increases ticket sales if you're looking at it from a strictly money standpoint long term. I I don't get it, Mike.
1: Short term franchise bumps for long term franchise. Pains, I guess. I don't know. Like,
0: the real issue here, and and I'll go out and say this, I don't know at this point when the Alouettes turn this around. Uh, You know, I am very skeptical. I I liked what I saw a couple weeks ago against Edmonton, but I don't think Johnny should have been thrown out there to play. Uh, His agent even came out and said that this week, that he wasn't ready. And yet everybody in the organization seemed to think he was even though the signs were there that he wasn't.
1: Wait, who was? The owner? What do you the mean? Owner? The owner may have been the only guy that thought he was ready, came down to the coach and said, you're playing the kid no matter what.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very wild possibility. And frankly, Mike Sherman's so lost out there on the bench that he doesn't even probably realize it's a terrible idea.
1: Wow. Well, a guy that hasn't been in the CFL himself lost. To, to me, I, I, I think, you know, to be very honest with you, Montreal needs to start all over again, if that's even possible.
0: But where do you start? Okay, so you – well, you can't go out and get another quarterback because that's, they've been doing that for five years. That hasn't helped. You can't – what are you going to go and do? Fire Mike Sherman okay, who are you going to bring in to replace them? Nobody in the CFL wanted to come and take over the head coaching duty there this off season, so they had to go get Mike Sherman. And it's only going to become more difficult next year when coaches and personnel start counting towards a salary cap. Right? Like, you're going to have to start paying people a bunch of money in order to come here into Montreal, and you only have so
1: much cap space to do that. Right, and And who wouldn't want to go like if you were to fire Tavis Reed, hypothetically speaking, which general manager didn't want to come to a team that doesn't have a first round pit for the next three years? Or anything really in the cupboards.
0: Not none. It, it, this is why I, I'm 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 scared for the future of the Montreal Alouettes, the near future of this team, because I don't see how it improves with Mike Sherman as head coach. I don't see how it improves with Gavis Reed as GM. I don't see how it improves with the Wettenhalls as owners of this team. And I don't see how they bring in anybody, you know, credible enough to replace them that's going to turn this around because who wants to come to this organization right now?
1: The interesting thing to me is, and I think I said this to you in a a text message, does the commissioner let this play out like that?
0: Well, I don't know what the there's probably legalities about the commissioner stepping in and helping an organization.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, if one of your franchises is going in the entire wrong direction than the other eight franchises, and it doesn't look good on your lead office, I'm not saying you should do something. I just think Randy Ambrosi is just as scared as we are.
0: I mean, it's frustrating to watch because... I don't see a sense of direction. You know, the Joe Mack years here in Winnipeg, I, you know, part of me still held on to the hope that the Bombers would get out of that. And I'm sure the Alouettes will get out of a funk eventually, right? Like they they have to, but I, right now I'm having a hard time seeing a plan put in place to do so. And and there's some guys on that team that, that, that deserve recognition for how hard they work. And one of them, you know, John Bowman, Mm-hmm. is up there in age, but has been arguably their best defensive player this year. I, I don't know if you saw, Mike, about uh, what... So he got injured this past week against Hamilton, oh. and he's now on the six-game injured list. He, sprained, I think it was sprained his elbow or something like that, and still went and crawled along the ground to try to tackle Jeremiah Mazzoli. And uh, Mike Sherman actually went and showed this video to the rest of the team in the dressing room and uh, basically showed that, to show, you know, this is what a leader on this team does. And John Bowman is, I, I love John Bowman. He's such a hardworking guy. He's a class act in the league. And uh, hopefully he recover soon from injury. But come
1: on, man. Like, these guys deserve better. And now, uh, we just find out as well, Vernon Adams is going to miss substantial time as well. So, you really don't have a choice with who you can play at quarterback. Uh,
0: it wasn't going to be a choice, anyways. Let's be re- real. Uh, Johnny Mansell's the starter this next week, whether Vernon Adams is healthy or not. And he's going to be the starter going forward because it's going to keep bringing in money and it's going to keep bringing in ratings for the M- Montreal Alouettes. And, and that's, frankly, what I believe is the reason. You know, the short term dollars valued over the long term success here. And they. They paid a boatload to get this guy, and like they said, they're going to put him in the lineup until he succeeds, but until they give him the tools he needs to do so, I don't know if he will.
1: I feel really bad for a franchise that once was the pride of the CFL dominant for years after years, and I don't know if you remember any of these years, Ryan, uh... About the early 2000s to about 2010, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there, Montreal was today's equivalent of the Calgary Stampeders. Year after year, you couldn't beat them in Montreal if you tried. They went to Grey Cup after Grey Cup. There were multiple East Finals at Olympic Stadium in Montreal. They, well, they were they were the class of the league. They they are they are Calgary back about five to ten years ago. Yes. And now it's like they're the, for a lot of better term, they're getting to the point where they just might be the free spot on the bingo card. Pretty much. And it's so sad to see. As I try
0: to bring my heart rate back down a little here, Mike, and uh, settle down a little after getting that off my chest, I just want to say, like, props to the actual, like, the Alouettes fans that do go to all of these games and do support this team, because, frankly, the organization has given you no reason in the last several years to support them, but yet people still come out to the games anyways. There's people that, you know, are still diehard Alouettes fans, and props to you, and I'm sorry for begging on your team here. And it's nothing against the Alouettes fans themselves. It's uh, it's more so of I feel your pain type of rant, right? We we got went through some bad years here in Winnipeg, and uh, th- this is some bad times in Montreal. And I hope nothing but the best for Ottawa fans. In that, I, I hope this team can find a way to turn it around. Just I'm at a loss for words right now as to how they actually do so.
1: Well, I'm just trying to load something up here as we speak. Um, but I cannot exactly remember the year that Joe Math was fired in Winnipeg. Um, just trying to find that here quickly. I
0: think it was 2013.
1: Oh, yeah, 2013. So that's when they fired Joe Math and has also had to step down a former Blue Bomber president, Darke Bush. Right. Um, And where are we now? Almost five years later? The Bombers are just now starting to return to respectability.
0: Yeah, I'd say about four years after that. I'd say 2017 was a strong year. Maybe even 2016 was a decent year. So it took a solid three years before they started getting competitive again. And now I'd say the Bombers are up there in the upper echelon of the CFL. Uh, Still need that Grey Cup victory, but... It's going to take time for things to turn around in Montreal, and I hope to see stuff that begins soon because I, I see it right now. And this, is just to sum it up here, that yep. you know we talked about the ownership thing, where where you're trying to get you know people in the stands, you're trying to get jersey sales, et cetera, you're trying to make money. That's what an owner does. You got a general manager in Cavis Reed, who you know I talked about a couple weeks ago. It's nice to see him trying to make moves to improve his team but if you really look at the underlying nature of these moves, they're to save his butt short term. They're to save his job as of right now. He's trying to do what he can to get enough wins under him to save his job right now. Is it going to help them long term? I don't think so because you don't have a first round pick till 2022 and you don't really have that much in the cupboards right now. So, I, I think there's issue, and then we talked about Mike Sherman, you know, he seems a little bit lost out there at the head coach position. I think on, on all levels of the structural organization of this franchise, there there's issues here, and they need to be fixed, and perhaps it needs to start, you know, further up top and work all its way down.
1: Just, just to put it in perspective, Joe Matt's veteran as general manager of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, any idea what that was?
0: Uh, how many years was he here in Winnipeg? 2010. 2010 to 2013, three years. I want to say 12 wins? 21 and 39. Okay, so I gave him more credit. Or I didn't give him enough credit. My apologies.
1: But that's Winnipeg. They are They were in a little bit of a hole. I honestly and sincerely hope that the Montreal Alouette to find a way to turn this around.
0: Let's let's talk Hamilton for a little bit here, Mike. Uh, We've ranted for about 15 minutes about the Alouettes organization here. Let's talk about Hamilton because they take this one 50-11. What did you see from the Tycats this game?
1: Well, when you turn the ball over four times and you uh, really give the other team's quarterback the short field, it's not really a surprise what he does.
0: Yeah, Jeremiah Mazzoli, seventeen of twenty-six, gets exactly three hundred yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, Dane Evans comes in late in this one, three of three for fifty-two. I'm really shocked Mazzoli wasn't pulled a lot sooner.
1: Yeah, I, I you and I know this very well. coaches seem to have a real interesting, difficult time trying to find a trying to pull their starting quarterback.
0: Like, it's not—do well, you think he was scared after Toronto came back and beat Ottawa earlier in the week, like, the day before? I, I can't see in this scenario, you know, when you're up 38-3 to on Montreal at halftime, you know, and then you're up thirty forty-one 41 3 going into the fourth quarter. Like, you can't tell me Montreal's going to come back and put up over 30 points in the fourth quarter. Like, pull, no. him in, pull him in the fourth quarter. You just traded away your backup quarterback a couple of weeks ago. You've got this young kid in Dane Evans. Give him the playing time.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Coaches are really funny that way. Uh, what would you make
0: of the return of Alex Green?
1: Honestly, I didn't see too much. I was just focusing on the drives that Manziel had. But by all accounts, he had a pretty solid game.
0: Uh, 15 carries for 74 yards. He picked up two touchdowns as well. Uh, looks like Green is back from injury and he's picking up right where he left off last year. And uh, at the wide receiver position as well. I mean, I mean, Jalen Saunders continues to rack it up as one of the best receivers in the league. Seven catches, 150 yards, and a touchdown. He may be in the conversation for best receiver in the CFL.
1: For sure, and rightfully so. I mean. You know, they did it but a lot of the time with a tasker and one other receiver, Toliver. Um, Toliver, so just to do what he's doing while he's being teed on and game-planned on, that's that's very, very impressive.
0: Sit so second in the league in receiving yards right behind Duke Williams. Uh, I mean, it was an all all-around field day for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There's not too much to talk about in this one. From their standpoint, besides the fact they really just dominated on all three sides of the ball.
1: Yeah, and I'm not too sure if that's really surprising to anybody.
0: No, and and, you know maybe it's good for them to have. I mean, it most certainly is good for them to have this bounce back game, and in tremendous fashion against Montreal because they did lose three straight coming in. Now, they've got a tough matchup with the Bombers coming off the bye week this week, and we'll see what they can take from this game against Montreal and use that coming into the matchup with Winnipeg. Moving on to our final game of the week, uh, the Calgary Stampeders undefeated coming in, and they also leave this matchup undefeated. 27-18, Calgary wins. Um, They do it again, Mike.
1: Calgary's Calgary, and uh, by all accounts, Kamar Jordan had a field day.
0: Yeah, Kamar Jordan uh, gets the shout-out from Dwayne the Rock Johnson before the game, and he used that some sort of motivation, I guess, because Kamar Jordan had uh, five catches, 185 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, the story in this one, Bowie by Mitchell, 19 of 31 for 370 yards and a touchdown. They picked up big yards through the air. Big plays torched the Lions' defense all night long.
1: It just... It's very interesting because I think this to me is honestly one of those games where the result doesn't give you a true indicator of the game. In what way? I, I I think it was more a lopsided game than the score indicates.
0: Really, I think it was actually a decently close game. I I'm I think BC actually did their part to hang around pretty well. You know, they only lose by nine in this game uh, to Calgary and. Uh, for the most part, yes, they gave up some big plays on defense. Uh, I didn't see it the first half of this game, but uh, I know they did take some costly penalties. And uh, late in the game, they can't get it on third down.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting scenario. Um, when you fall behind for when you fall behind to a team like Calgary, I don't know. They almost forced you to change your game plan on the fly and have this squeeze you out kind of game defensively. And I don't know. What do you say other than status quo? I I just find it so funny. Well, not funny, but
0: so like this kind of sums things up, right? BC has a chance to, granted, they're down nine, so it's a two-score game. They're marching down the field. They get to third and one as they're trying to drive late in the game. And Alex Singleton, the leader of this tenacious Calgary defense, comes up with a stop on 3rd and 1 and Calgary, holds on to win the game. I mean, this defense is incredible. And I say this every week, and and I like to track, you know, how many points... How many points on average do you think the Stampeders give up now, Mike?
1: 13.12,
0: something like that. 12.29. Second best in the league, the Bombers and the Ticats tied at 21. Something like eight point seven points better than the next best team in the league are the Calgary Stampeders. That's more than a touchdown
1: and a two point convert. You're so gonna,
0: who, you're so gonna who, win
1: every game with that. So who is the, uh, so who is second just out of curiosity?
0: It's Winnipeg and Hamilton,
1: tied at twenty one.
0: Huh? Yeah, you didn't think the Bombers would be
1: on there, did you? No. I, I... I just asked you to say that again, just to make sure I heard that right. And you know, sometimes great years get overshadowed by amazing years. And I don't know if the bombers and all these other teams will get the respect that they deserve because Calgary's just not good. No, Gary, no matter how well your
0: defense plays, it's it's automatically second best to Calgary because you know, and we'll keep tracking this points per game against over the coming weeks. And I think it will continue to rise a little bit because this just seems like impossible to keep at this ridiculous pace they're at. You know, a couple weeks ago it was under 10. Now they're up to 12.29. But you're still talking like under two touchdowns
1: a game that Calgary's giving up here. It's crazy. Honestly, it's just ridiculous. And the defenses that I thought were amazing under Chris Jones and Edmonton and You know, there's a couple other defenses that that come to mind. They are all very average compared to what Devon Claybrook has drawn up in Calgary.
0: Now, interesting stat in this game. uh, Offensive lines had themselves a pretty good day because there was only one quarterback sack in the entire game, and that was uh, Coleman, uh, Devon Coleman of the BC Lions had the only sack on the day. So impressive performances by both offensive lines. Uh, what did you make of B.C.'s offense? Because given their opponent, I thought they actually played decent, and I thought Travis Louie had himself a fairly good game.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, despite was all Travis Louie, certainly didn't do anything to lose his job, and I have to wonder if Jonathan Jennings maybe just traded at the trade deadline this year. I don't know. Trade deadline doesn't really
0: bring many trades, and I, I don't think that's wise, especially if you're still in the playoff race, if you're B.C., why would you go and trade your backup quarterback at the deadline?
1: Well, it, I guess it depends on, on what you can get for him.
0: I, I guess, yeah. I don't see it happening. I don't think they're gonna get, let get rid of Jonathan Jennings anytime soon, especially with Travis Uley's health history.
1: Would you? And and I'm not trying to suspect anything or start any rumors or that. Would you accept if you're Saskatchewan a bridge for Jennings trade? I don't know if that's a fair straight-up trade. How about bridge for Jennings plus-plus? Or bridge plus-plus for Jennings? I think that's something you'd
0: be more looking at, is bridge and something else for Jonathan Jennings. And I don't know if you'd do a quarterback for quarterback trade, because maybe the Lions do like what they saw from Ricky Lloyd in the preseason as a potential backup, where they also have Cody Fajardo still. Um, I don't know. That's a path I don't really want to go down right now because I I don't see Jonathan Jennings getting traded anytime soon. You know, Travis has come back and played three games since injury. They've been three very good games, but it's only three games. He has an injury pass. I I don't see them making the trade anytime soon. Uh,
1: No, that's fair. And I, I think BC, when it all comes down to it, May regret trading them down the line i i I think b c
0: has started to pick things up in, actually in the last couple of weeks here now you know they they have a what I would say is a close loss to Calgary by you know playing Calgary standards. They have that game against Ottawa the week or two weeks ago where they really should have won that one. It was just a final drive lapse, and uh before that's when they have that comeback win over Winnipeg so perhaps b c it's turning a corner here and trying to get their name still in the West Division playoff race.
1: But the problem is they're running out. they running out of the race based on the way everybody else has played.
0: Well, not necessarily. I mean Calgary is Calgary's locked up first place. I mean it's basically guaranteed, right? Uh, anything can happen in the CFL. Yes, I know, but they're they're seven and zero and show no signs of slowing down. Uh, you got Edmonton at five and two, the Bombers at four and three, Saskatchewan three and four, BC two and four. So things are
1: widespread across the West Division. I believe that one of Saskatchewan, BC, Winnipeg
0: crosses over. Probably that's what it's seeming like so far this year, but I don't know. Maybe this win for Toronto this week gives them a bit of life.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm just not sure. Like I said, I mean, I, I need to see more from McLeod Bethel Thompson uh, to anoint him. As I, I've seen a lot of quarterbacks win their first game, but go on to have very less than seller CFL careers.
0: Uh, Mike, just to wrap up week week eight here, let's do our offensive, defensive, and special teams players of the week.
1: Uh, where do mm-hmm. we go
0: for the? Where do you go for offensive?
1: Well, um, I, I could really give it to Johnny Manziel, <laughs> just just because of what he had around him and just an effort. Um, the effort I thought was as good as one should be expected. But on a more serious note, yeah, just just I, to clarify here, Mike is completely kidding
0: about giving yeah. it to Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Don't
1: send I, angry tweets at me um but no i I' think you know you're gonna go whichever way I don't go here I, I have to give it to Boie by Mitchell yeah I mean 378
0: yards I think it was for Mitchell uh 370 a great day 19 to 31 370 and a touchdown he he has his strongest day I would say of the season or certainly one of the top two um They're building the statue outside BMO Field, and they might as well hang a medal around his neck for CFC Offensive Player of the Week, because I'm giving it to McLeod Bethel-Thompson. When your offense hasn't put up over 20 points yet this season, and in the second half you lead an insane comeback and throw four touchdown passes in your first CFL game, are you kidding me? McLeod Bethel-Thompson, hands down to me, Offensive Player of the Week.
1: I will mention, Tamar Jordan. Jalen
0: Saunders would also get one from me as well, and Darrell Walker for Edmonton, because he kind of carried the torch in that game. Uh, let's talk defensive side of the ball. A lot of options to choose from. Where do you go here? Toby Antida.
1: Why? Uh, Toby Antida, Nick Marshall, Saskatchewan defensive corpse. Uh, played pretty well despite not winning the game. I'll give
0: it, I, I, you know, let's agree on this one. Let's go, let's go with Nick Marshall. Nobody in the last five weeks had shut down Durrell, uh, Duke Williams. And yep. Nick Marshall in his second career game uh, did a very good job of doing that. And I think I may have called it this past week as well. You know, this was the first week I didn't take Duke Williams in my fantasy lineup because I had this hunch, Nick Marshall back in the lineup. I loved what I saw from him in that first game and Nick Marshall came out and delivered a huge day shutting down Duke Williams. Gets him our Defensive Player of the Week nominee. And finally, our
1: Special Teams Player of the Week. Mike, where are you going for that one? Well, I was hard on this guy earlier in the game, or earlier in the show, pardon me, and I'm going to have to give it to Marquise Jackson because I believe that you know, despite the turnover, which led to a touchdown, I don't believe the comeback happens without substantial start and field position, Fort done a lot of drives. Well, let's,
0: uh, let's, let's go across the board on that one, because I was thinking the same thing. Martise Jackson had himself. Besides that one blip, uh, like you said, he was a huge part of that comeback there. For sure. Uh, game of the week, uh, which one would you say it was? Is <laughs> it very clear it was that Ottawa-Toronto game?
1: Ottawa Toronto for a timer was the second name of the night I thought you know for a large portions of it uh, those two could have tussled it out but I won't argue with the Toronto pit
0: that was a heck of a finish that was something we had been missing so far this year is some late game dramatics like that and we finally got that this week and I'm very excited to see that and I'm excited to see if Toronto can turn it around from here they do have the bye week this week but yeah. Uh, Any final thoughts before we close this episode out, Mike?
1: Well, I I just want to see, to to be very honest with you, I'm waiting for clarity for the CFL to say, you know, Tadley's the best team, Montreal the worst team. I'm waiting for middle clarity. We don't have that yet. And it's very intriguing to me what the playoffs will have. Yes, absolutely. We're eight weeks through the season. We look
0: ahead to week nine. That will be coming up uh, Wednesday, probably out Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. We'll have our week nine CFL preview. Uh, look forward to that one as well. We'll be joined by Josh Smith of Podski Wee, Wee another member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, to talk uh, the Bombers versus the Ticats as we tee up one of only three matchups in week nine. So look forward to that on all the podcast feeds iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. And of course, if you want to listen on something different that we don't have, just uh, message us on Twitter and uh, I'll get it on there for you. You can find us on Twitter, at CFC on Mike FM. All the other Canadian Football Podcast Network shows at at Network, And uh, follow our website, MikeFMWinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown. That last part all hyphenated.
1: Absolutely.
0: That does it for this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. For Michael Garrow, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.
1: Bye. Bye.